Welcome back to another edition of the Musketeer Report podcast. Paul Fritschner alongside Rick Broering talking about a jam-packed week of Xavier hoops and maybe none bigger than Xavier beating Ohio State on Thursday night at the Cintas Center. Uh, Rick, it was an electric atmosphere in there on Thursday. Probably, uh, in my opinion, one of the better atmospheres at Xavier recently, just because of a lot of different effects going into it, the pandemic. For students, if you're an underclassman, that was the first real big Xavier basketball game that you'd ever been to, whether it's the freshman being your first year there or the sophomores that didn't go to a game last year to this kind of an effect in the Cintas Center. Half of that student section basically was experiencing a sold out Cintas Center for the first time. And it was clear from 630 in the morning when the students were lining up for the game. I thought it was probably a, a top three or four atmosphere in the last five or six years, at least since I've gone to every game since 2015 basically and, and to me it it just really felt like it, it it brought it there was so much expectation there was so much anticipation for the environment and the atmosphere and I thought it exceeded and checked all those boxes yeah I think everyone knows that I've had a tough go of it here to start the season with conflicts <laughs> calling NKU games and and covering Xavier games there are very few times where I'd rather be at the Centaur Center than BB&T Arena watching my Norse and covering <laughs> their games. This is one of those where it's like Xavier, Ohio State with that atmosphere or NKU Eastern Michigan on a Thursday night. <laughs> I would have rather been at the Xavier game if we're being honest. Um, so I love that you brought up, you thought it was one of the best atmosphere. You know, I love ranking things and doing lists and all of that. When I was re-watching it, I was like, oh, wow, this really came through on TV. I mean, before the game, they're showing the crowd shots and you're hearing the place rocking. The whole game, it was loud. There was never like that lull. So I'll go back to there was a Georgetown game where Xavier was behind by a bunch in the first half, started the second half a little slow, and then just went on one of the craziest tears you've ever seen and came back and went on like a 30 to two run or something crazy like that. I mean, are, are you talking about the Trayvon and one from three game? No, this is before that, I believe. Okay. Yeah. That was Georgetown. I yeah, don't that, know. That, I didn't know if you were talking. That okay. was Georgetown too. This was a huge comeback. I mean, they were really bad. I want to say D Davis was uh, the point guard at the time. I mean, it was, it was a while back. Oh, way back, way back yeah. when. Okay. And, 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 may, and may, I'm mixing up the years a little bit here. Honestly, some of it's starting to blend together, but there was a game where Xavier came back against Georgetown from way down and had like a crazy second half run. That was the loudest I've ever heard Sintos for like, a two war period. You know, there was like eight minutes where that was the loudest I've ever heard the place. And I'll still yeah. stand by that. But Villanova, the game they won the JP shot, all of that, that whole year where Xavier and Villanova were both ranked really high and Xavier pulls off the win at Centaur center. That was the number one game for me in terms of from start to finish, that place was rocking the entire time. There was never a lull. And then when you went back and you watched it on TV, it sounded that way. The whole game, you could hear a buzz in the place. Every shot, every whistle, there's a big reaction to. That's how this game felt to me. You were there in person. I was just watching it back on TV. The, is that kind of the vibe you got? It, just, it never slowed down. It was just rocking the entire time. Yeah, we were all talking after the game about the environment. And, and trust me, I'm the same way with you trying to rank the environments. I, I had it in the top there. I didn't put it in any particular order, but I would say that that Villanova probably would have been number one. Um, but it would have been in the top three for me uh, since, like I said, I've been going at pretty much every game since 15. Um, I I would say in that period, it would be Villanova and then the 15 shootout. The 17 shootout was a blowout and I wasn't at 19 because that was the year I, I called the 
Kentucky football state championship. So I wasn't at 19, but that wasn't a particularly close game either. Um, but I would put the 15 shootout and the Villanova game and the, the Villanova game and then Ohio State. And honestly, I might put Ohio State number two behind that Villanova game just because the the lower I know everybody talks about the lower bowl. The lower bowl was into it the whole time. The students were into it from 530, 630 in the morning. The the place was sold out from the national anthem, which is, you know, for Xavier at a 630 tip, that's something to write home about. So all the way around, I, I just felt like I would probably put it the Villanova game, that 15 shootout and Ohio State, and I would probably put Ohio State in at number two right behind that uh Villanova game. There were a couple of instances where if Xavier would have hit a three in like a big spot with the crowd on its feet, it could have probably rivaled that second JP three from the Villanova game. But I think it's going to be hard to ever really beat that number five and number one JP second three. It's really, I I don't, I don't know what it's going to take for Centos to be able to beat that noise. And if you were there at that game, you know what I'm talking about, but um, this game on Thursday with all the expectations and everything that people were hoping it would be in the environment, I know from talking to everybody around and getting the vibe of everybody, it it was it was it was a special scene, and Xavier really brought it on the court too. Well, we got to talk about the dunk at the end by Paul Scruggs, but it's more than just the dunk. I mean, the way Paul Scruggs took over this game at the end was everything we kind of talked about this offseason and everything in terms of the narrative we had created about this team not being able to finish games and not being able to close out the end of the season when they have the NCAA tournament right in front of them and do they have the best player do they have an alpha do they have a go-to guy all of that stuff I mean I I talked about it a lot I was probably the one who initiated that conversation more than anybody this offseason and right away out of the gate the first opportunity we get in a big moment in a resume building game Paul Scruggs, a little quiet for a stretch there, and then just absolutely shows up in the final few minutes to make sure Ohio State doesn't come back, to make sure Xavier doesn't falter down the stretch. The dunk was the big moment. He obviously had four or five plays in the final two minutes that that really stood out. But uh, just give me the the dunk reaction inside Centos Center. Did the entire roof blow off? Or Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it was the same kind of situation. I, I don't – Honestly, everybody was comparing it to the Edmund dunk from the shootout. But this this one to me, because everything that they went into that dunk, the, the set play out of the timeout, right? Travis coaching down that stretch, calling two timeouts in the final four minutes of the game and getting dunks out of both of them. The set play into that dunk, you know, for Nunji to set the screen and then Colby at the at the base to kind of clear out Liddell and then Paul to dunk over Ohio State's best player at that point in the game to really seal off the game. It got a little dicey there at, at the end, but it was never really in doubt. And Paul scores 10 of his 14 points in the second half of the game. And to me, it just felt like that dunk with the importance and everything that went into it and the situation of the game, th- that was a moment where you just, I just took a look around the crowd and everybody around just had this, this feeling that everybody just kind of took a deep breath and, and felt like, okay, that, you know, that was it. And that, that was really Paul's moment. And I talked to him about that after the game in my interview with him, I, I asked him about that. And you know, those are the kinds of reasons why he came back for a fifth year. When you look around at the crowd and you look around at Cintas and he was saying, that's what he, that's what he lives for. That's why he wanted to come back. And, and that's exactly the kind of, 
situation that he was hoping to give Xavier, and he did, and he came through. Kudos to you, too, because Paul is not an easy interview. He doesn't like to expound upon things very much, and <laughs> it's you know, pretty quick answers, but uh, I thought you you captured that moment well after the game and got some good answers out of him and really kind of captured his emotion and how much it means to him right now. Well, it's funny because I've been interviewing Paul since he was a freshman. And after the game, when I was talking to the Big East crew who was there, I asked him who we were going to talk to. And they said, Travis and Jack. And then they said, Paul. And, you know, sometimes, like you said, Paul just it's not it's not anything to him. It's just his answers are very concise. And so uh, I was like, all right, well, you know, we'll we'll give it a shot here and see how it goes. And I I just talked to him before the interview and I. You could see that when he turned around the corner down by the locker room and uh, we started talking and his face lit up right away. I, I thought, OK, you know, he's he's got a lot of emotion here and uh, and I tried to draw it out of him. And I thought it was a pretty good interview. I thought he like you said, I thought he really opened up to me uh, for the first time in a long time to just really say, hey, look, this is what this win meant. I saw big East fans of other teams were even complimenting you on the dap afterwards. It was pretty smooth <laughs> by you. Good, good job. Uh, yeah, it was a really I'm well surprised done interview. they let. I was surprised they left that even in. It was a, it was a big night for you overall. Not only do we have that, but you were also seen after the game. And I don't know when this happened. I assume it was right after her set at halftime. But after the game, a picture comes out of you inside the Red Panda's dressing room with your arm around her, which. I think a lot of people have some questions. She is a timeless classic for certain, but uh, Paulie, I mean, a, a big night for you all the way around, I guess. Well, I had a great night at Centos on Clearly. Thursday, Rick. Yeah, I had a great night. Uh, yeah, so Red Panda, I so I have whiffed on a picture with her for the last six years. And I mean, right, she always comes to Xavier pretty much once a year. And I've seen her at Madison Square Garden. I've seen her at Xavier. I, I, always, I always whiff. I can never get a picture with her. And I wasn't the one throwing the bowls up to her. So I was like, is this stolen valor? Is Am I allowed to do this? And so I was talking to some of the other the other people working with Xavier, and they were saying, hey, just after after she's done at halftime, just come back and get a picture. And I was like, okay. all right, all right, that's fine. So uh, I went back there, and I was talking to her. And she, look, she is just the most genuinely nice respectful. She you just, don't know that. She's not even speaking English to you. She might be cussing you out in Mandarin. Well, okay. I was trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> You're right, though. <laughs> you have no idea what she said. But she seemed nice. I yeah, don't know. She said it in a nice tone is what she did. Yeah. <laughs> That's a classic yeah. celebrity move. Yeah, you she was great. Don't speak the same language as you. You just cuss them out in a nice just manner. Smile and nod. Okay. I, she definitely thought I was crazy because I was like, look, I've been, I've been trying to get a picture for a long time. And I was like, I walked away. I was like, why did I say that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah it, it was it was better when it just seemed like you were in her dressing room than when you came off as a stalker when you explained it. It was like, eh, OK, that's not as uh, I wouldn't tell the story maybe that way, but to each his own. Um, no, I don't To go back to the Paul Scruggs closing the game down thing. I don't want to make it sound like Paul Scruggs has never made big plays at the end of games in his career. Heck, he did it last year at times. Right. But there is a difference between you made the big shot and. You took control of the game. You literally grabbed it up by the back of its neck and just said, this is my game now. Like I'm holding yeah. it and no one's taking it from me the rest of the way. That's what Paul Scruggs did. The two defensive plays he had, the drive and the dunk, obviously. He was as good as you can basically be in an end of game situation right there. And that's 
for a lot of fans, I think that's a comforting sign to see. And the other thing, too, was that he scored Xavier's last eight points of the game. So he uh, gets that layup with a minute and eight seconds left, and then his dunk with 30 seconds left, and then the four free throws to end the game. And that's all you can ask for. No, he was fantastic. And you mentioned about Travis Steele, uh, some of the plays he was calling, particularly out of the timeouts. I thought this was a really well-coached game all around. And from an offensive perspective, you mentioned the one play where they ran basically uh, sort of a double screen at the top of the key. They screened one way going left to right. They came back and re-screened it going right to left. And it just completely confused Ohio State's front court on who they were tagging and who they were they're staying with. And it ends up, I think it was a, a layup or dunk for Jack Nungy on that one where yeah, Zed Key it was, was wide just, open too. Yeah, Zed Key had just completely lost him. So that was... I thought that was outstanding. He also, and I got to talk to him for a little bit after yesterday's game. And he had told me, I said, you know, I saw probably three different times. You had a play where you've got maybe Dwan or one of your guards driving from a wing. So say like left going right on a diagonal across the lane. And then when they get down to that lane area, the big man would be sealing off. So it looks like they're looking for the ball in a post up, but they're really just clearing out the whole lane. as like a giant screen. So when you get there, the defender has to kind of get around this big wide screen and you've also got no one there contesting you at the rim. They got that three different time for layups. I was told, see, I was like, was that just something you saw in the on the video or you knew that you was going to, he's like, we've been saving it. It's something we've had. We just didn't want to put it on film. So no one had seen it yet, but he's like, yeah, that's, that's something that we think we'll be able to get throughout the year pretty well, especially with our guards. So there, there was that. And I thought the defense too, which we can talk more about was, was outstanding. Yeah, and that play to screen down low was what they got the dunk off of at the end of the game. And I think they were running that against a zone, too. I think Ohio State was in a zone at that point. But just to go down there and and for Colby to – it looked, yeah, like you said, it looked like he was trying to just clear out some space to get an entry pass. But instead, Paul comes charging down the lane and throws it down on EJ's head. Yeah, it's great because it's like it's legal because you're posting up technically in that area of the court, but it's basically just a giant moving screen. We're allowed to like hold guys <laughs> with your arms and stuff. And I mean, it uh, it worked out perfectly the, the few times they ran it. And again, like I said, Steele was 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 smiling as he's saying it going, oh, yeah, we we had that one. On our back pocket. <laughs> we, we knew that was going to work. Uh, they got it multiple times. So I thought that was good. But the defense. We talked about it on the last podcast, and it was uh, a new thing just for kind of the second half of the Kent State game and maybe a little bit in the Niagara game where we were talking about them using drop coverages or sometimes when Deontay Miles was in, they were switching at all five positions. And when we say that, by the way, we're talking only about the center position because one through four, Xavier is switching, and they have been doing that for pretty much Travis Steele's whole tenure. If you're playing point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, you're switching one through four, any screens. The five man is where it gets tricky. And that's where most teams screen, right? They want to put your center in a position where he has to get out on the perimeter and defend a ball screen action. So what Xavier has been doing again, the Kent state game, a couple of times they were switching with Deontay miles, but since then the last two games, Ohio state and Norfolk state, they just did a drop coverage with both miles and with Nunji, which means instead of getting up and hard hedging, or instead of playing that, that ball screen flat and, and stringing it out, they're just dropping back into the lane and staying really tight and using their length. And what's what that has done for their defense is it has just simplified everything. And in a lot of ways you think, okay, well, you're taking the, the ball screen away. You're taking the ability of that guard to drive away because you're clogging up the lane, but what it's resulting in is they're not getting out of position. 
They're not having to scramble back and recover and then get in rotation on defense, which means there's a lot less guys sitting out on the perimeter wide open because their defenders sucked into the lane on help. There's a lot less guys trying to sprint 15 feet to close out on a guy because they had gotten sucked in on some other action after uh, there was a recovery and a scramble. So they are in position a lot more. They are a lot tighter. And because they do have length this year, when you talk about Colby and Jerome and Jack and Deontay, it's a lot harder to fit passes through the lane, to drive through the lane, to get shots off when you, once you're in the lane. I mean, they have the look of a team that could be really good defensively all of a sudden. And in my opinion, like this drop coverage is a big reason for that. It has just simplified everything. They're, they're the same personnel group that started the year, but they just look so much more cohesive and so much more together now after they started doing that. Yeah, and Ohio State only scored, what was it, 26 points in the first half? that game and it just felt like Xavier defensively was dominated Xavier didn't score a ton and the other thing too was if Xavier had hit a couple of those open threes that's a, we're talking about a totally different game we're talking probably closer to a blowout than a close game because Xavier got a lot of open looks and they didn't fall and I know that's something that we've talked a lot about but Xavier got a ton of open looks in that Ohio State game and you you're talking about maybe three extra threes falling when Xavier only finishes the game shooting five for 24. I couldn't believe that in the yeah. post-game box score that they only made five. Three. It just felt maybe because those five threes were timely. I don't know. Yeah. Well, well let's just say put them at 33.3%, right? Make it a wash and give them eight threes, eight of 24. They're in the, the, the game's a blowout for the most part, or it feels a lot more comfortable yeah. down the stretch. There's a moment, I think it was like around the 12 minute mark in both halves. It was, it was about midway where I, it's funny. Cause I was thinking the same exact thing. The first half, there was a play. I think it was like Nate Johnson or Adam Kunkel missed a wide open three. Then they got the offensive rebound. And then like Nunji got a wide open three on the same possession and missed it. It's like, if they hit one of these threes, like two or three possessions, they had missed three or four threes. If they hit any of those threes in that moment, and it was like a six or a nine point game at that point, also it goes to double figures and you're rolling. Same thing in the second half. They had another opportunity where it's like, I think it was about uh, seven or eight and they had multiple three point attempts in a three or four possession stretch there where they just couldn't get it to go down despite it being wide open. You're thinking if they could shoot at all, this is a blowout. I mean, this is a comfortable win the whole way. So, I mean, kudos to them for finding a way and all the strategizing they were able to do to get buckets without being able to shoot at all. But like if this team ever does start shooting well, or they shoot like they did against Norfolk state on (laughs) Sunday afternoon, they, they got a chance to be really good. Yeah. If you look at the second half of that game, when Ohio state tried to get back into the game, their biggest run overall in the game was five Oh. So they never really made that, 10-0, 11-0 run where Xavier just had to withstand it and then try and punch back. And I think the closest Ohio State ever got in that second half, I mean, they got it down right around the end of the game. They got it down to a two-point game, but they were never, to me, it just never really felt like Xavier was out of control. It felt to me like Xavier was always in control of the game, even when it got close. Well, I think your point about the 5-0 run being Ohio State's biggest run is the, the big point right here. Xavier 
had some droughts on their own. They had some possessions where they didn't score. It was a low-scoring game, which I expected. They never had breakdowns on the defensive end where all of a sudden Ohio State started to get it rolling. Like Xavier might have had a miscue or they might have missed too many shots in a row, but each time they came back and they got stops on defense to to stay right where they were and not lose too much ground. And, and so I, I was in the same mindset of that game never felt like it was getting away from them. It wasn't we were talking before we came on here. I think maybe too many Xavier fans are also Cincinnati professional sports fans. And they like <laughs> think the reds and the Bengals and, you know, Zach Taylor and Travis, like these things are the same. They're not like Xavier's never been that team. They've never been that franchise that falters or can't win in the second. Like that's not who they are. Yeah. They've had a couple bad seasons or uh, they faltered down the stretch a couple of times the last two years, but that's not who Xavier is. That's not who they've been. They've had winning years. Each of the last two seasons, people seem to forget that they're still pretty good team, uh, still pretty good program. And, and yeah, I, I didn't think this game ever had that oh no, here we go again feeling. It felt like they were in control the entire way from really tip to, to finish, I think. And, and Xavier, Travis still talked a little bit about it yesterday after the Norfolk State game, but Xavier's led for 90, or hasn't trailed rather, for 91 straight minutes now since 11 minutes were left in the second half of that Kent State game. Score first in Ohio State, lead wire to wire. They score first in Norfolk State. Ah, well, that game was over from like the second possession of the game. But they lead wire to wire against Norfolk State. And really, after taking control of that second half against Kent State, have looked like a, a, a very different team than what we saw in the first three halves of the season. And really, what we've seen in the last like year and a half, too. This, this has the feel, kind of has the vibe. You look at how Colby's playing and how he's dominating, how he's rebounding. You look at maybe if Adam can extrapolate after what he does yesterday hitting a career high eight threes you look at those kinds of performances and you think okay if you if you can keep building on these last five halves of basketball instead of looking at the last or the first three of the season and then maybe last year this is what this team can be yeah there's been this look of almost frustration I and mean, going back to last year but definitely even the first couple of games this year where it's just like things just weren't clicking and you know, they just couldn't get right for whatever reason at times. And there always seemed to be the sense of frustration. And now all of a sudden, especially coming off that Ohio State game, it's like they look like that tough, confident group that that knows they're better than you and you can't get anything on them. I mean, they had that sense in the Ohio State game, the second half of that, it's just like, you can't score on us. We are the bigger, tougher team. We're going to get every rebound and we're going to get a stop. And then that just carried over to the Norfolk State game who never had a chance. People were worried about there being a hangover, a trap game, what have you. The attitude they're playing with, there was no room for that. And obviously they made some shots to go with it, which always helps. But yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to see how this parlays into the NIT tip-off in Brooklyn and everything because it does feel different all of a sudden. It feels like this team is finally clicking. And by the way, they still don't have Zach Fremantle, who was thought to be their best player coming into this year. And um, I, I look at that and I'm thinking the way Jack Nungy played, I thought he was the key in so many different ways to that Ohio State win. Deontay obviously got in foul trouble, so Jack had to play 30 plus minutes, which wasn't expected at this point, And he did fine. He, he was able to hold <laughs> up. But not just that. They, they ran stuff through him on the offensive end. He gave him a post presence to throw the ball into and he was good defensively, 
I mean, again, with the drop coverage is just keeping him in that lane the whole time. It has really helped shrink the floor for Xavier on the defensive end. Passes don't come through the middle of the lane because of his length. Uh, he's contesting shots at the rim. Xavier is one of the top teams in the country right now in blocked percentage. Like that hasn't happened since I've been covering the beat. They they have never been a team because of the pack line defense who block shots. That's not their goal. But with Deontay and Jack and, and even Colby in there and Paul, like they're blocking shots this year. And it's it's hard to get in the interior of this defense and score right now. I just think you look at the way Nunji played in that game and the way he's been playing as he gets back and, and recovers from his time off. You add Zach Freeman to that. And all of a sudden, that original front court that you're expecting to have of Fremantle and Nunji to start the year, that's going to be a pretty damn good front court, I think. And you talk about the blocks, too. And I think that was something else about Ohio State. They had nine blocks, and EJ Liddell had eight of them. And that was who Paul went after on that dunk. I think that was one other thing. And I meant to say that a second ago when we were talking about it. That was one other thing about that that just, to me, felt like, okay, th- th- it's, it was just a microcosm of the whole game. Yeah, like you're the bad guy on their team that keeps getting all the blocks. All right, let me cut the head off the snake here and just, you know, it was like yeah. the uh, the boss at the end of the level of a video game, right? <laughs> oh, okay, you're the baddest dude that I've got to beat to finish this thing? Okay, let me go uh, just cut your head off right now with a dunk. I mean, that was murder like you've never seen on a basketball court before. It was yeah. beautiful. But, I mean, bringing up just the way they were attacking is a good point, too, because offensively, we had talked about – hey, like they're settling for too many threes. There's too many quick jumpers. That wasn't the case in the Ohio State game at all. They were attacking constantly, but they were smart about it. They weren't just driving in the teeth of a, a defense that was really tight and, and waiting for them to do so. They waited until they were guarded by Arns. And anybody who had Arns on them went right after him off the dribble because he can't move laterally. And they just kept blitzing him off the bounce. And it kept putting Ohio State in rotations and, and scramble situations on their defensive end. I was a little surprised that Ohio State didn't really pack it in tight defensively. I think they got a little bit like Holtman's kind of do what we do on his side of the court a little bit too of like, no, we're going to get up and pressure a little bit more and we're going to play our tough, hard-nosed man-to-man. I would have really sagged off a lot and made Xavier make some shots to beat me, but uh, they didn't and Xavier was able to find some some creases. Yeah, uh, I do want to pat myself on the back a little bit. I think it flew very under the radar that I was two points off on my score prediction. I had 71-67 and it was 71-65. I'm only good. taking I'm only taking credit for that because that will never ha- happen again in my life. Never. Uh, That's the will. only thing it I have. Well, if say. you if you make predictions, you'll be uh wrong more often <laughs> than you are right as uh, people are quick to let me know, but you'll get a couple more right as you go, I promise. <laughs> Paul Scruggs we talked about, but we haven't talked as much about Colby Jones and as key as Paul was controlling the game late, I thought Colby Jones this entire season has really been a huge key for Xavier, but specifically in the Ohio State game. I mean, the fact that you've got a guy in Colby who can guard a potential All-American power forward slash center in EJ Liddell, and you're not giving up anything on the glass. You're not giving anything up in the post. You're not really even giving up that much length because of Colby's length and athleticism. That's a weapon and a tool that most teams just don't have at their disposal. I mean, Colby Jones is a difference maker. And I think Zach Fremantle being out this year, it's it's to start the year, it's helped the front court players because it's given Deontay Miles a chance to play without the idea that, hey, I'm going to get pulled out of the game if I screw up here. And it's given, you know, Jerome Hunter certainly a lot more minutes to start the year. But the guy that it's probably made the biggest difference for and benefited the most is Colby Jones because this team didn't have an option. They needed Colby to step up and be a go-to guy to to help Paul out. 
And now hopefully when Zach gets back, you've just got three guys like that. I mean, yeah, you'll have to share the ball a little bit more, but Colby hasn't been a ball dominant player. He hasn't been taking too many shots. He's been still efficient score off of hustle points and the playmaker that he's been since he started his career. And he was the second leading rebounder in the game. He had 12 rebounds. Only Jack had more at 14, but nobody on Ohio State was in double figures rebounding. But and he 12 had 10 rebounds time against Norfolk State. Yeah, it just you talk about the rebounding numbers and what he's been able to do. And I mean, that that turns him into a double double machine, just finding himself in the right place at the right time in the right spots and having the court awareness and the ability to know where he needs to be playing off the ball. He cut really well yesterday, leading to points at the rim. So those are all just little things that to me have stuck out that he's done really well. When you make the Josh Hart comparison to Colby, this is what Josh Hart looked like as he started, you know, he all of a sudden he balked up a bunch after that first year. And also it's like, Oh man, now this guy can guard all five positions and he can rebound like crazy. Like what are you supposed to do with that? And that's, kind of what Colby's already morphed into as a sophomore. So um, again, I just think it's been big for him to be forced into this role and maybe he would have done it either way. Maybe he was just that good that he was going to break out either way. But I think not having Zach ensured that you're getting the most out of Colby and that that's been a good thing for this team as well. Let's talk about the Norfolk state game a little bit, unless you have any yeah. big things to hit on from Ohio state. Cause there were a couple no, of things that, that I think were worth bringing up. Um, no, I was, I was just about to ask you too. Yeah. Adam Kunkel and Nate Johnson, obviously, Finally get off for big games from the outside, shot the ball really well. Kunkel came one three-pointer off the school record um, that I think Trayvon Blewett and Romain Sato had both hit nine in a game before Kunkel finishes with eight in this one. That is something where I do think they got some better looks. I mean, part of it was you're playing against Norfolk State, but also the ball movement was off the charts good. And something that Steele pointed out that's not just ball movement, but Having on time and on target passes, meaning, you know, yeah, a guy standing at the three point line and you find him, but did he reach over his head to grab the pass and then have to reset where he was trying to shoot from? Did he have to pick it up by his feet and then reset, get into a shot pocket, like put the ball right into a shooting pocket so we can go into one motion and shoot nice and smoothly. That's something that they've been talking about a lot in practice and that they've been focusing on. And I think that's something we saw come to fruition in the Norfolk staking again, possibly because it's Norfolk State, you weren't pressured as much. It was just easier to do. But I also think it's something where you're seeing them take what they're working on in practice and and delivering in games, and, and they did a good job of that. Yeah, and, and Adam scored, what was it? He had 26 points in 26 minutes, but Xavier had Nate and Adam both go for more than 20 points. Nate finished with 20. But for those guys to finish... 12 of 18 from three. You're just hoping because I, I was talking about it to somebody after the game yesterday. Um, we had, we had two hours to kill in between the, the end of the men's game and the start of the women's game. Um, so some of the ushers, we were all standing around there talking and they were, they were saying how nice it was to see Adam hitting those shots. And I was saying, you know, like you said, it, it's one thing to get those open shots and to go eight for 10 from three, you can be open all you want. And to have, like I tweeted right at the beginning of the game, that it kind of felt like it was a get-right game for Adam just because you could tell he was open. You could tell Xavier was going to continue to be able to get him open all afternoon. And it's one thing to take the open shot, and it's another thing to hit it. And he consistently hit it yesterday. He was smiling the whole game. Everybody was smiling the whole game. Ben Stanley was smiling when he got in. Everybody was smiling the whole game. But 
to be able to hit those shots at the rate that he hit it, you're hoping that that kind of carries over here into a huge stretch of games coming up. Yeah, and that, that's going to be the big question. I do think it matters that it wasn't just, you know, a three for six game. I mean, I do think it matters yeah. that he went eight for 10. That's uh, as good as you can feel as a shooter when you have a night like that. And hopefully that adds some confidence for him. Nate, I was never as concerned about him. He had such a good year last year. You knew there was going to be some regression this year. He's gotten off to a little bit of a slow start. If anything, as a Xavier fan, I would feel like, oh, good. Maybe it's going to be like the opposite of last year where it starts a little slow and then really heats up and shoots better the rest of the year. Conkle was the one where it's like, all right, he was a bad shooter his first year at Belmont. He had the really good year at Belmont. And then he comes here and he has a bad, weird COVID year, which is the real guy, right? Like, is he going to be a shooter or not? And I think we've seen it in practice, you and I have, obviously. But fans were getting very restless with him still having that green light and still giving him so much leash to launch those threes. I think everyone saw why he's had that leash. Because this is the type of shooter he's capable of being, at some point, you do have to do it in games if you're going to continue to get that type of leash from your coach, but he is capable, and, and he showed that. And this team, the bottom line is this team needs a shooter to step up. Like, they couldn't just say, oh, Kunkel's not going to make him tell him to stop shooting, and we'll just move on. Like, no, they need Kunkel to be a shooter. They don't have enough of those guys on this offense. So I think it matters that he had the eight three-pointer game, and I do think that will carry over. He's played better in every other aspect this year aside from his jump shot. His defense has been better. His playmaking is better. His toughness, strength, all that stuff. He's bulked up. It's legit. But he's got to make the outside shots for him to really play his role. And hopefully this will spur that on. Yeah, and especially going into this week, um, I, don't, I don't know if you want to get straight into that or if you had anything more to talk about from this last well, week. Do you want to talk about Dwan real quick again? Because we, we mentioned oh, him on the point. last yeah. podcast, yeah. and uh, he hadn't yeah. got off to a great start. And then it was interesting because I got – some comments yesterday where I was like, people were like, Hey, what's up with Dwan? And then I saw the stat sheet, obviously after that said he had six turnovers, which I didn't even realize he had during the game. And then on the message board, people were like kind of out of pocket with their comments about Dwan, like that he can't be played or something. I didn't see that. Like I thought Dwan played pretty well in the Norfolk state game. Actually, I did see the six turnovers and I went back and watched like, okay, how did these come? And yeah, there's some things he's obviously got to clean up. But like one was an egregious foul that wasn't called where he just, they end up just calling a strip. But it's like, I mean, OK, three guys slapped him at the same time. I'm not sure what he's. No, no, no way. All of them got all ball. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Someone definitely yeah. raked across his arms there. There's another one where it's like in the second half. It wasn't. I mean, all of it was kind of mop up time, but it wasn't the final few minutes. It was like maybe eight minutes left or so. And he like drove a little too far, stepped on an end line. There was another one where he got surprised by a press. He started bringing the ball up the court, turned around, and all of a sudden they were pressing him. He wasn't ready for it, and he kind of threw it away. So there were some things that you got to clean up. You can't have happen. You never want your point guard to have six turnovers. But it's also like in a 40-point game, there are at least three or four of those turnovers that weren't, oh, man, Dwan was bothered by pressure, or Dwan made a bad decision as he was trying to create off the dribble there. It was more just like, okay, don't step on the end line, and maybe the refs will make a reasonable call next time you drive. Yeah. And that, and that was, I think that was when I texted you in the second half and I, I texted you and I said, what, what's going on here with Dewan? And it was just some of those careless, like almost seemed like out of control that if he just kind of took a second, took a deep breath, took, surveyed the court, realized a court awareness type of thing, like that one where he was down on the baseline, it, it just felt like at, at points he was kind of rushing everything, but that if he just settled it down and in a game like that, where everybody's hyped up and everybody's excited to try and score a lot of points 
you can kind of get away from that. Plus, it was a fast paced game, too, where you're you know, you're going back and forth and you get a lot of possessions in the game. So that led to it a little bit as well. But I, I don't really know how much there is to read into that as a whole from a game against Norfolk State. Well, I think if it would have been just the six turnovers, you know, if he didn't play well beyond that, then it's like, okay, Dwan's kind of struggling here because he, he got off to a slow start the first couple of games. We talked about that on the last podcast. So it was a bit of a concern coming into this week, but I actually thought he played well against Norfolk State. Like he made a lot of plays for other guys. He was getting paint touches. I mean, there was the time where he drove like underneath the rim and threw the hammer pass out to Colby and then got swung around for three. He started a lot of their possessions that led to points. It wasn't always him getting the assist, although he did have six assists as well to the six turnovers, but he was sometimes the one that was driving in, starting the possession, getting the ball movement going, and then it gets swung around and someone get an open shot as a result of what he started. Defensively, I thought he was good too, finally, because he had really struggled the first couple games. He was good against Ohio State defensively, good against Norfolk State defensively. I, if anything, this week, I thought it was a, a positive momentum shift for Dwan going in the right direction. Again, you don't want to see him ever have six turnovers, but that was more of a thing of kind of sloppy game to begin with. Still a young point guard, going to make some mistakes, especially when he's got the backups out there with him. I wouldn't read into much of that at all. I thought he actually played pretty well. Yeah, and so now you go this week and and you play, you know, Memphis, potentially Virginia Tech. You got Iowa State on Tuesday. Uh, so now you're really stepping up this week. Uh, not to say Iowa State is one of the best teams in the country, but you have a, a real nice chance against you're going to play Virginia Tech or Memphis either way, whether you win or lose on Wednesday. So you have at least one chance at a, at a pretty nice win. The one thing I will say about this week, and it just came out about an hour ago, Xavier coming in at number 25 in the AP poll. Look, we know if you follow this closely, it, you know that the AP poll doesn't matter. It, it really it doesn't in the long run have any effect on anything. But what I will say is for publicity and to be on ESPN, that is something that Xavier's program cares about to have a number next to your name, to be on ESPN this week, to have that additional exposure like there is a reason that the preseason tournament every year is an espn event like they value that to be able to get on espn to get that additional exposure when you're playing on uh you know fs1 or fox all season long to be able to get on that espn family of networks and to have a 25 next to your name that's not for nothing i know the rankings don't mean anything but publicity because at the same time, you're getting your name on the on the bottom line. There, there are things that go along with being ranked that, yes, it doesn't matter, but that the program, I would think, cares about. Yeah, no, that's well said. It doesn't matter in the way that fans talk about it. Like, well, that, you know, the, the voters, the AP voters don't know who the best teams are necessarily. You know, like it doesn't if they say you're the 25th best team doesn't mean you're actually good or bad or what have you. That is true. Yeah. That is absolutely right. I mean, there are some idiots doing these polls and sending them as we see on the poll attacks every week. But it does matter. Absolutely, it matters to be ranked. I mean, just from the standpoint of the bottom line, when it scrolls across your TV, it's only the top 25 teams. When you click on the ESPN scoreboard, it's only the top 25 teams unless you change it. Like, there are a lot of ways in which you get seen if you're in the top 25 and you don't otherwise. And also, like you said, just having that number next to your name when your name pops up and they're showing your game or whatever, 
if a recruit's watching that or casual people are watching that, it does matter. It makes them think of you in a different light. And Xavier has come a long way over the past couple decades because of things like that, because they got seen as a team that was in the tournament, because they got seen as a team that was consistently ranked in the top 25. So yeah, it does matter to be ranked from that perspective. And they're right on the cusp right now. I mean, they just broke in at top 25. They're going to play Virginia Tech this week, possibly. And they're sitting right behind them, two spots behind them in the rankings of others receiving votes. So uh, definitely a lot to play for this week in terms of national exposure and bragging rights in that regard. A shot at Memphis has moved all the way up to number nine would be great for them as well. So they're going to get a pretty good game in that second round of the the NIT tip-off regardless. Opening game against Iowa State is is one that you'd like to see them win, of course. Um, but either way, that second round game should be a pretty good opportunity. Is there anything, anything else? Like, what does what does the Ohio State win mean for this group and and Travis Steele at this point? I, I don't want to get too gung ho about it, but I do think it was about as a, certainly the most important win of Travis Steele's career to this point. And I mean, one of the more meaningful and important games, I think, in the last few years for Xavier. I know that people could look back at that Villanova game a couple of years ago with that Xavier won at home and it kind of turned into a blowout that maybe you could say that that was Travis Steele's best win or whatever. I think that really, in my mind, there was no question that this was his best win because for one, you're missing potentially your best player in Zach Fremantle, if not your best, one of your best players. And you're doing it at home in front of this crowd with so much expectation in a game that maybe Xavier wasn't favored in Vegas, but really felt like Xavier should to, I think to a lot of people felt like Xavier should be able to win that game at home. Then you lose Zach Fremantle. Then you're thinking, okay, maybe it's, it's a 50, 50 kind of game, whatever. Maybe Ohio state has the edge, but still at home, can Xavier get it done? Xavier goes out there, executes its game plan perfectly. Travis still has a great coaching game. And again, I go back to that point. I made He only called two timeouts in the second half. They were both under four minutes and you get dunks out of both of them. And they were easy too. Um, well, okay. Not to take away from Paul, <laughs> yeah. but the, the, the play to set it up, the, the development of the play was perfectly executed, right? It was, it was an open play to the rim. Yeah. He had a clear driving lane. Yeah, exactly. And, and so when you look at how all that developed through the game, pushing the right buttons, uh, and, and to overcome a game where you're only shooting five for 24 from three and you're still able to win by six over Ohio State, I don't think there's any question in my mind that it's a game that it, it builds a lot of confidence under you. Now, we have seen before where Xavier has won a big game like this. Look back at that Villanova game where it kind of felt like, OK, Xavier goes and gets that win. And that's going to start the big run into the rest of the season. Now, this is an earlier season game, but you know that that Villanova game was a little later in the Big East schedule. But it, it feels like if you build off of this game, there's a lot more momentum to be gained from winning this Ohio State game. Whereas if you look at that Villanova game or or what what was the game last year toward the end of the season that Xavier won? Was it the game at Creighton where Rothstein tweeted out that Xavier was for sure going to be in the NCAA tournament and then they went and, and lost out? Was that Creighton on the road. Yeah, they oh uh, they won Creighton at home 77-69, the third to last game. And okay. I do think that was the one because yes, yes, Creighton, yes, Creighton yes, was like yes. top 25 at the time. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That was yeah, sorry. I, I was thinking uh yeah, Creighton at home last year. That was the game where Rostin tweeted out Xavier's for sure gonna be back in the NCAA tournament. And it just had all that momentum and it was a huge game. And then Xavier 
kicks the can the rest of the way and loses and doesn't make the tournament. And if you ask me about this game and and to me, what feels like Travis Steele's biggest win to go out there without Fremantle and really kind of work Ohio State um, from a coaching perspective, from a talent perspective on the court all the way around and to withstand Ohio State's punches and win the games. If you take this win and continue that through, I, I think this is really a win that could kind of, and especially with how much you have talked about the defensive side of things for Xavier and what they've started to do defensively in the last couple of games, adapting to the team. This is a kind of game that can kind of change the trajectory in my mind of this season. And really, and I know this sounds dramatic. I get it. I, I know just off of one game and it's still early in the season, Ohio state could tank out. I don't think they will. I think Ohio state's a really talented. I think they're a really good team. I think this is a kind of game that can really change the trajectory and the momentum of one Travis's career and two this season, which I think is pretty closely tied to Travis's career. That, that, that's right. And I mean, again, it, it, it does feel too dramatic sometimes when you talk about one game and, and how, much, yeah. but, but like, this is different from that Villanova game a couple of years ago that you were talking about, because at that point, Travis still had plenty of goodwill. Like everyone was excited about what the future held and where this team was going. No one was looking at it from that, from that prism, but this year it is like for right or wrong. You can't talk about this year without talking about the way Xavier fans are. And even some of the outside world too, is talking about this program and Travis Steele right now. And I've said this multiple times in the offseason that Travis Steele's career to this point and Xavier's program right now could be whatever you want to make of it. You can look at it and say they've recruited really well. They're set up for success going forward. They've had bad luck each of the last few seasons that have contributed to why they faltered down the stretch. They've had Paul Scruggs go down, Nate Johnson go down. All these things of what you can point to and say, here's why I still believe in Travis Steele and here's why he has done a pretty good job. And then you can also just as easily do it the other way, right? Like of Xavier can't miss the tournament three years in a row. You can't lose games to Georgetown and DePaul down the stretch that are must win games to get in the tournament. There's plenty of things you can point out on either side. So when you win a game like this, where it's like, it's a game you want to say you're able to win. You've got an in-state opponent coming down to your arena for the first time ever when you've got, a pretty good team. And yeah, Zach Fremantle is out, but you've got experience. This is the team that's supposed to be good. It's your fourth year as the head coach. It's your guys. It's not, we're trying to scramble in and get a stopgap piece here out of the transfer portal. No, this is a team that you put together and built and you were planning on this team being good. That game means a lot. Getting that win and proving you can win a game like that in your gym means a lot to the fan base, to the outsiders, all of that. And yeah, it doesn't mean anything if this season turns to trash down the line somewhere but at this point for where we're at right now it builds up a lot of goodwill for the time being and it also gives you a lot of confidence about what this team actually could be going forward because quite honestly the last few weeks of the preseason and the way the season started I think everyone was starting to question like how good is this team do they have enough top end talent are they just kind of the same team as last year can can they figure out some of these issues that they've had dating back to last season that seemed to be a problem again to start this year. And the answer after that Ohio state game seems to be, yeah, yeah, they can, because they did it against good big 10 team and a team that I think a lot of people would have told you is more talented than them coming into that game. Now, granted Ohio state was without justice suing and, and Kyle young is coming back from a medical condition. So I think they will get better and their personnel overall will be better in a couple of weeks, but you won when you had the chance. And that's what matters right now for Xavier. So a massive, massive win and it gives you an opportunity now 
I mean, when we talked about their record and what they were going to be on our preseason show, our preview show, I had them losing that game. I had them going one and one at the NIT tip-off. I had them losing at Oklahoma State. So now you've already got one of the big ones in the win column instead of the L column. If you go and somehow go 2-0 and at the NIT tip-off, what's left as far as losses in the non-conference? I mean, you've got that game at Oklahoma State, but if you go one loss through the whole non-conference before you get into Big East play, you've got the chance, especially with what the Big East has done, the, the, the Gavit games, everything. the Big East is off to a good. They might get seven teams in the tournament the way this thing is going to start the year. So, like, <laughs> I mean, Xavier's put themselves in a really good position with that win, and if they go and they take care of business this week at the NIT tip-off, all of a sudden, you're talking about a resume that is in really, really good shape heading into a biggie schedule where, again, you can get beat up. You can beat up on each other a little bit when you all play well in the non-conference portion of the season. And that's what's happening so far this year in the Big East. So, yeah, I mean, Xavier set themselves up well, but so has the rest of the conference. Well, Rick, I think that's a great way to close it out. Uh, maybe next week, next Monday, when we're sitting here talking, it could be a, it could be a very interesting conversation next week if we're sitting here at a, after a 2-0 and week for Xavier, but Iowa State, in my mind, is a game that Xavier should win, and then you have a chance against either Virginia Tech or Memphis. Either one of them would be a great win for Xavier. Memphis would be the better win, but Virginia Tech has had a great season. Now, Virginia Tech hasn't really played anybody necessarily, but they've looked really good in the games that they have played so far, and they've won by significant margins. So should be an interesting week, but Rick, uh, it was a great week last week. Xavier goes 2-0, and uh, we'll see this coming week how Xavier does up in Brooklyn. Hope everybody has a happy Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll see you next week.